Turn, if you would, in your copy of God's Holy Word to Luke chapter 7, as we continue our exposition of Luke's Gospel. Today we find ourselves in verse 36, and we will go to the end of the chapter. And we come to a narrative now that proves the truth of what we heard last time, that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners, and we see that powerfully demonstrated here with this sinful woman who comes to him. So trusting you are there now in your copy of God's Holy Word to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's Holy Word. These are the very words of God. Let us hear them as such. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us pray. O our Father and our God, there are texts, O God, that preach themselves. And here is one. And yet you've called your minister to preach the word, and so we pray that you would bless him in that endeavor, that your Holy Spirit would make the preaching of the word come alive to your people, that the Spirit of the Lord would rest on each of them, that they would see the tender mercies of God in Jesus Christ, and that they, seeing, if they are in Christ, are forgiven much, would love the Lord much. May your preaching, may the preaching of the word do this, O God. We pray, Father, that Jesus Christ would be proclaimed and that he would be high and lifted up among this assembly. And so, Father, as you bless the preaching of the word, help us 
Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. For we ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, a hallmark or marker of nominal Christianity, which is a faith which cannot save, is lukewarmness. A polite but cool reception of Jesus, neither being hot nor cold, mere formalism, nominalism, churches are full of this kind of religion. Easiest maybe to perceive in very liturgical churches where you go through motions and write, stand up now, go kneel here, do this, say a few, wrote prayers. And because you do those things, you believe that God must accept you. But in churches like that and in people who have that heart, that can be found here in our assembly as well. In people like that, they have no thought of God after the service. They have their next thought of God the next time they darken the door of their church. But then in between, there is no thought of God. There is no warmth towards the Lord. There is no love for God in the heart. That is not saving faith, friends. That is the kind of religion that Simon the Pharisee possessed with his cool hosting of Jesus Christ. He received Christ, he hosted him, but he had no love for Christ. He did not kiss the Son, he did not adore him, he did not mingle tears over his sin with sobs of joy that Christ forgives sinners and would die for sinners. And in contrast, In our text, there is a woman of true evangelical religion here. No mere formalist at all. Her religion was a fire in the heart, for she was gripped by Christ's mercy and his gospel. And having been forgiven much, the Lord says, Oh, how she loved much. Hers is a true saving faith. Hers is not the faith of demons who believe and tremble, but the faith of true believers who believe and weep at the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. And so with that, to introduce our theme, our theme is a very simple one, that sinners forgiven much love God much in Christ. And we consider this under three heads. First is the narrative set, second, the debt erased, and third, the debt outstanding. So first, the narrative set, and we'll spend most of our time here. This is undoubtedly one of the most gripping narratives in all the scripture. This is a text that seems to have been crafted especially for the chief of sinners, those who see themselves as black but comely. It is a text that illuminates the truth of so many precious promises of the gospel, promises like Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the chief. Promises like, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That is why gospel narratives are actually very important for your soul to cling to, friends. For they show you the truth of the doctrine of Scripture. Connect the doctrine of Scripture with the narratives and parables of the Bible. You know, when your sin clouds your soul, and you hesitate to come to Jesus Christ, even though you know the invitation, right? You know the text that says, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. But you think, 
How far does that go? Does it extend as far as my sin? You are to look on a text like this and say, Oh my soul, Jesus has never ever cast out sinners who come to him of any kind. And the teaching of John chapter 6 then is true. Indeed, he will never cast out anyone who comes to him like this woman. So let's discover the great scripture truths in this narrative. As the narrative opens, we find that on the day this took place, Simon, who was a Pharisee, desired him, that is Jesus, that he would eat with him. He wanted to host and dine with Jesus, and he invited others as well. That is clear to see here. Now, Simon showed Jesus more respect than most of the Pharisees, right? He invited him over to dinner, bringing him into his home. But it's clear to see here that though he had a kind of hospitality for Jesus, this was a cold and unfeeling hospitality. Simon did not have the Lord's head anointed with oil, as he should. He did not have the Lord's feet washed from the filth and grime of the road. He did not kiss the Lord's cheek as a symbol of affection. These are things he would have done for just about any guest in his home. But he doesn't do it to the Lord. And so this man receives Jesus, yes, but he has a low regard for Jesus Christ. And the actions, or rather the actions he doesn't take, show what is in his heart. Friends, I'll say it again, as I said in the introduction. There is a form of religion that has a formal regard for Jesus Christ. The form of religion with no love and affection, a cold and damnable thing, is what that is. Formalists, you might be here today, and you might have no true love for Jesus Christ. You did not come here to kiss the Son. You have never wept over your sin. You did not come here today to adore the Savior. You might be no open enemy of Jesus Christ, but you're not a lover of Christ either. And that will damn you just as much. Unless you have felt your sins, unless you have come to Jesus for forgiveness and come to adore him for it, your religion is no better than Simon the Pharisees. Now let me give you a picture of the way the meal was set. Because boys and girls, children, if you think of uh, their dinner table like ours, the scene will not make any sense. But in those days, the table was set, and there were around it deep, flat couches, as the King James often translates it, couches that you would recline on. They were like flat benches around the table. And when you ate, you would recline with your feet actually behind you, kind of sideways like this, with your left arm resting on the table and your right hand essentially eating. And so if you have in your mind, boys and girls, a picture of your dining table at home, this narrative doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, how did she get under the table, right, to wash his feet? It would seem rather weird in a lot of ways. But Jesus' feet, because he is reclining like that, is in full view and full access to whoever is in the room. And that helps you understand how the woman gained access to him so easily. And so what about this woman now in our narrative as we come to look at the narrative proper? We don't know her identity. Some people think she's Mary Magdalene, but you'll see that she comes in the next chapter. Is a very different woman. Uh, we don't know her identity, but what we do know about her is important. She was a notorious sinner. Simon easily knew who she was by way of reputation. 
because he thought that Jesus should have known who and what manner of woman this is. Who and what manner of woman this is. Simon knew her, that this woman, she was a prostitute. She was a harlot. She was a gross sinner against the seventh commandment. Gross, notorious, well known in the town. And the truth is, friends, that while all of us are sinners, some of us sin in more heinous ways than others. And she was one such as that. Her sins, if you think about this, because I'll get to this in just a second, our society is trying to normalize and also to minimize sexual sins, in fact, to promote them. But what we have to understand is her sins were grievous. They involved sins against the body the Lord designed for chastity and for conjugal love. The Bible says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, outside the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 1 Corinthians 6.18 And she had become not just a fornicator, but a seductress. She was one that Proverbs 7 warns you about, whose house is the way to hell. Not only sinning against her own body, but enticing men to forfeit their souls. You have to understand, her sins were grave. Her sins were evil. She was a notorious, wicked sinner. And that's what prostitution is, friends. An evil, wicked thing. It's a degrading thing. Today, many are trying to normalize prostitution. In fact, they don't want you to use the word. You might have noticed a shift in media where they call them sex workers now, as if they are no different than a construction worker or a medical worker. It is not sex work. It is prostitution. It is, as the Bible calls it, whoredom. That's what it is. And unless you understand that and how grievous a sin it is, you will never understand how beautiful this text is. Because it is the fact that our sins are so ugly and damnable that makes this text so wonderful. Because all the people in this room and Simon knew what manner of woman she was. And that is the scandal to Simon as she touches Jesus Christ. But this, she, this was at this time, at this place, she was a sinner saved by grace. She was not a prostitute anymore, though it happened very recently. At some point before this dinner, this woman had heard of the Lord Jesus Christ and her life was utterly changed. Perhaps, and maybe this has happened to some of you, perhaps the burden of her sin had grown so great and she had grieved her actions with her conscience being so wounded at the disgrace, and that is what she was, a disgrace, what she had become in her sin. And maybe she had started to sense God's holiness and that she would one day have to give an account to God for all that she had done. And yet... She could find no way out of her burden. She had no power over her sin. She had no program by which she could work off the debt she owed to God. There was no way that she could cleanse her heart to reach into her soul and purify it. And what of the prominent religious men like Simon? They sinfully said to her the words of the wicked men of Isaiah 65.5, Stay away from me, for I am holier than thou. At some point, 
But such a heavy burden laid upon her, having no hope and without God. She must have heard the Lord Jesus Christ preach words like this out of Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you are converted, do you still remember how glorious those words were to you once, believer? Can you not think of what it was like on the day that this woman, this sinful woman, heard them for the first time? In the hearing of it, the Lord opened her heart and her faith was placed in Jesus Christ. As he promised, he took her heavy burdens, he took all her dead away, and he gave her rest for her soul. And in the twinkling of an eye, all at once, she was no more unclean, but made clean by the washing of regeneration, all by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all she did was receive Christ by faith to receive it. She was washed, she was sanctified, and she was justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 All in an instant, all in the twinkling of an eye, that is the wondrous gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lifetime of sin, a lifetime of evil, a lifetime of heinousness, all instantly reversed in Christ. Given a new heart, More marvelous than even that gospel message to her then was the Lord who gave her this so freely. She left her old sins behind and followed Christ because with faith also comes repentance. And she was a prostitute no more. Well, somehow she found out that Jesus was having dinner at Simon's house this day. And while she might have been too scared to ever come near a Pharisee and his home in times past, Now justified and with a heart cleansed by Christ, she humbly but boldly comes in. And she comes in weeping, overwhelmed at the sight of her Savior. And a good deal of this has to do with her contrition over her sins. Something that God loves, beloved. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. See, that's the difference between formalism and true evangelical religion. The true believer, like this woman, has a broken and contrite heart over sin. But their tears are tears of sorrow, yes, mourning that they are sinners, but also mixed with joy and love that sin's burdens have been released from them. It is the case, friends, it is the case that even as your former sins are, are, are removed from you and you understand you have the forgiveness of your sins, sometimes, often rather, at the presence of Jesus Christ, as she experienced, the old wounds sometimes do reopen, don't they? At the presence of Christ. Why does the Lord do this? Why does he work that in you? It's not to hold it against you, but instead that your adoration and love for the Savior would be renewed and you would glorify him and your love for him would grow and grow and deepen as you recall how much the Lord has loved you to forgive you even of your blackest sins. This often happens. You've had this experience, I trust, when the presence of the Lord is heightened, especially in worship, especially at the Lord's Supper. 
when the bread is broken and the wine is poured, you see simultaneously the wickedness of your sin and the love of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you weep, you mourn over your sinfulness, but also uh, you, you have joy mixed with that sadness over the love of Christ for you. But this day, this woman didn't just weep over her sins. She wept at something else too. The scandalous condition of her Savior. Because it was scandalous. Her heart mourned that Jesus was dishonored and neglected. She saw her Savior, the Lord of glory, being treated worse than a common man by Simon. His precious feet that carried the good news to her were filled with the grime of the road. And to her, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Romans 10.15 His precious head in which the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily was not anointed with oil. He was treated with contempt and neglect and she could not stand it after all that he had done for her. That is, evangelical religion in the heart then moves her to act. And so she goes out to him willing to suffer any indignity from Simon. She knows what these men think of her. She suffers any indignity to get to Jesus, though. She ignores the scandalized looks that undoubtedly are on the face of the men in the room. But she also realizes she did not come prepared to minister to the Lord either. She did not have a basin of water to wash his feet. So what does she use? She uses her free-flowing tears to wash the feet of the Savior. For as free and plenteous as Christ's forgiveness was, so were the tears that flowed out of her eyes. She had no towel to dry his feet, so she uses what she has, her long hair. Once her hair was a picture of her sins. You think of Psalm 40:12. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. But now, knowing that the Lord was pleased to deliver her of all her iniquities, she takes her hair to wipe the feet and dry the feet that delivered her the gospel. And while she had no anointing oil, she had a flask of, anoint, of ointment in an alabaster box, and so she anoints and perfumes his feet to remedy the disgraceful condition he was in. Lastly, she takes his precious feet that would be pierced for her sins on the cross, and she kisses them out of love, fealty, and worship. She kissed the Son, Psalm 2, and continually, Jesus says, she kissed his feet continually, never ceasing, unlike Simon, who would not even kiss the Lord once. Is there anything of this woman's heart in you, believer? Is there such love and adoration and worship for Jesus Christ in you? For this woman is a picture of a sinner saved by the free grace of Christ's love. Like her, the true believer wants to draw near to Jesus no matter the obstacle, no matter the shame from the world, no matter the jeers. Look at this fanatic who loves his religion so much, this evangelical Christian, that they will put away, they don't care, because they adore Jesus Christ. Why is the believer like this woman? As the Song of Songs says, I found him whom my soul loveth, I held him and would not let him go. Is there anything of this woman's heart in you, believer? Lord, 
will teach us why this should be our heart and why this should be the feeling of every forgiven sinner. And that's what we will consider in our next heading, the debt erased. And so Simon, in his mind, not vocalized, but in his soul, shows his contempt for the Lord. He perceives that all of this is disgraceful to him and distasteful. A sinful woman touching what men called a holy man. And so he writes off Jesus as a prophet. And he says to himself in verse 39, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. This is not vocalized, but it is in his heart. First, as you consider Jesus, I'm going to get to Simon in just a bit, but as you consider Jesus is not just some holy man, not just a pastor or a Pharisee or something like that. He is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity in flesh. Will you appreciate, as this woman touches the mediator, that the worst sinners can touch God through Jesus Christ? Isaiah the prophet saw the pre-incarnate Christ, the same person, in his divine glory, and said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. But now this woman touches the Almighty through the mediation of Jesus Christ, the God-man. How close you can draw to the God of heaven through Jesus, sinner. You can draw near with your tears, with your touch, and your kisses. It's incredible. Well, Jesus, now getting back to Simon, Jesus proved to Simon that he is a prophet, and more than a prophet indeed, because he heard and answered Simon's internal thoughts in verse 40. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. He is going to answer the question that was not vocalized. Now, if Simon had any sense of his own sin nature, the fact that Jesus Christ knows his thoughts should have frightened him to death. Because sin is in the heart, not just expressed outwardly. And Jesus knew exactly the kind of sinner that Simon was. He knows exactly the kind of sinner you are as well, friend, and where it matters the most in the heart. That said, Christ delivers a parable to teach why the woman did what she did. Verse 41, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay... He frankly or freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, now he turns to Simon, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. In this parable, Jesus teaches us that all men, all men are debtors to God. We all owe a sin debt to God. Simon was not exempt, I am not exempt, and you are not exempt either. God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. All of us have lusted, all of us have lied, all of us have coveted, all of us have blasphemed the name of God, and so on. And it is true, some owe God more and some owe God less. In the parable, one owes God 500 pence and the other owes 50 pence, God the creditor standing in the place of God. One owed, in other words, ten times as much as the other, perhaps indicating that the woman's debt may have been far greater than Simon's debt. But here is the thing, and this is what you can overlook in the parable. Regardless of the size of the debt, Jesus says they had nothing to pay. 
They had nothing to pay. And that is the key to the parable. That is the great equalizer between all men. That is what Simon never realized, that he is no better off ultimately than she is in God's eyes because he, like her, had nothing to pay. The equalizer between men is not the size of their sin debt. What makes all men equal is this, none have anything to pay God. That thought will make you seek out the grace of Jesus Christ and not your own works. You need to admit, all of you, I have nothing to pay God. And that thought must banish self-righteousness from you all. That great equalization between sinners should never have you be censorious like Simon the Pharisee. Yes, that notorious sinner might have the 500 pence debt, and I might have 50. But just like them, I have nothing to pay. That is what makes self-righteousness so incredibly odious to the Lord. You have nothing to pay him yourself, and yet you will look down on other sinners. None of us can repay our sin debt. You think your so-called good works can? No. The Bible says we're all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. Meaning that even our so-called good works are filthy and polluted by our sin. And as we can never repay our sin debt, that is what makes hell forever. Unless Christ, in whose debt we are in as God, the creditor in the parable, freely cancels our debt, as you see in this parable. And that happens when a sinner puts their faith in the Lord Jesus. Their debt is freely and fully canceled. So Jesus asked Simon, if that is the case, which person here loved the creditor more? Simon says correctly, because there is no other answer the one forgiven most. And Jesus says, thou hast rightly judged. But you think of this. Even though his mind knows the answer, his heart is still untouched. He still doesn't get it. He says, uh, Jesus says to Simon, and he tries to make the point, thou gavest me no water. And he points to the woman and says, but she hath washed my feet with tears. Jesus said to him, Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. Jesus said to him, My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Why? Because her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Verse 47. Formula is simple. The more you know you are forgiven, and the more you know the greatness of the forgiveness of the Lord, the more you must love Jesus Christ. It's very simple. The greatest sinners saved by grace are the ones who love and adore him all the more. The Apostle Paul, he never once forgot his sins. And for what purpose, though? Every time that he lists that he was a great sinner, it is for the purpose of adoring and serving the Lord all the more. He said, I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but but here he is like the woman. I obtained mercy. What grave sins he committed against the Lord. He never forgot them, never forgot the grace and mercy of the Lord to cover his sin. And he says, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. 
And that is what prompts him to deliver to Timothy the great trustworthy saying for all sinners. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. But the thing is, friends, all of us are truly at the end of the day great sinners. All of us. We have to dive into our hearts. And if we do, we would find great sin there. And so that means all of us who are saved should not love Christ a little, but a whole lot, if we actually understood that our sin is in our heart. But let me ask, because I cannot presume you know these things, how do you receive this forgiveness of an unpayable debt? The Lord reveals it in verses 48 to 50, in case you don't know. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that the most marvelous thing to sinners? That simply faith in the Lord Jesus Christ obtains the forgiveness of sins. Put every hope of salvation from your sin upon Jesus Christ and hear the promise again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, thou and thy house. It was that simple and freeing for that woman almost 2,000 years ago. And it is still that simple and joyous today, friends. You will have been cleansed if you have put your faith in Jesus and washed from your sins and given a new heart. But you also must have your faith in the right Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. Because those in the dining room asked, who is this that forgiveth sins also? You see, while Jesus certainly is a prophet, he is much more than a prophet. Simon thought, well, as far as Christ goes, he might be a prophet. So let's check this out. But Jesus Christ is more than a prophet. He did what Moses, Elijah, and the other prophets never did and never had the power to. Forgive sins. Who is this that forgiveth sins also? The shock in the question. And what's the answer? It is God. God in the flesh. For in Jeremiah 31, what do we hear? For I will forgive their iniquity. This is Jehovah speaking, and I will remember their sin no more. This is what's astonishing about who was in that room that day with feet that were unwashed by Simon, who had feet filled with the dirt of the ground. He cursed for our sin. God with us, Emmanuel, and on his authority as God, he can forgive sinners. And where is that debt gone that you cannot pay? And maybe this is what you need to meditate on, child of God, in order to inflame your heart to the love of Christ. Did he just zero it out in a ledger? Did he just come down to the earth and then say, well, I will just zero out the debt you owe me? No. He would be unjust if that were the case. The God-man has to go to the cross to be pierced for our sin and our iniquity. The feet that were so lovingly caressed by the woman, punctured on the cross, punctured for her sins, my sins, and the sins of all you who believe and all who ever will. And on the cross, as darkness covered the earth, the wrath of God bore down on Jesus until he finished drinking the cup of God's wrath, that unpayable debt that sinners cannot pay back. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 12. And all that finished. And accomplished, he cried out, it is finished, and gave up the ghost. Then raised again on the third day, 
and seated at the right hand of God the Father now, ruling and reigning from heaven. That's how forgiveness is granted through the work of this one, Jesus Christ. And because her faith in Jesus had saved her and saved her completely, the Lord says to her these marvelous words. We overlook these things. But to think of the Lord of glory saying these things to you, go in peace, peace, peace with God. That's the peace that he sends her with, peace with God through Jesus Christ. And this is the greatest gift of all, friends. This is what the angels trumpeted at the birth of our Savior. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is the peace that all men need, but only believers receive. Isaiah 66, 12-13 is a captivating picture of the peace of God that this woman received. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck, ye shall be borne upon her sides, and be dandled upon her knees, as one whom his mother comforteth. So will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Is that not a glorious and wonderful picture of the peace and comfort we have from God, believer? God, who is that great, holy, consuming fire, says in the gospel, as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. Peace like a river. If you're an unbeliever then, take this peace with God through Jesus Christ, like that woman did freely by faith today. Simply repent of your sin as the woman did. And then turn from your former ways. Believe on Jesus Christ and you will have peace with God. This is a promise from God. This afternoon we're going to look at some promises from God that you cling to with your whole soul. This is one. And how this woman, unbeliever, shows you that all and any of your sins can be forgiven. Do not think that any of your sins can keep you from being forgiven by Jesus Christ. Others testify the same thing in the Bible. The Apostle Paul I brought out earlier with his former blasphemies and his former murderous spirit shows you truly that anyone can be forgiven. And does he not also prove the truth of the parable that those who are forgiven much love much? How much Paul loved Jesus, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Philippians 3.8 Do you understand then the difference between the formalist and the evangelical? The true evangelical, that label is slapped on all kinds of people these days. But the true evangelical Christian has the heart of Paul in this woman. They count all things dung. other than Jesus Christ. So believer, if you know your sin debt, how much you've had erased, should you not love Jesus like this as well? How will you express that love? Well, we'll consider that and conclude with our last heading, the debt outstanding. So the formula is simple. Recognize how much you are forgiven and the more you will love. Oh, to dive into your heart then and to look on all your sins It is a sorrowful thing for sure, but it also is a sweet thing if you are in the Lord because you say, Jesus loved me enough to forgive me this. Jesus loved me enough to forgive me this. And how my love for Jesus Christ grows the more and more you express that understanding that Christ has forgiven all of my debt. 
And the more that you love the Lord, the more you will express that love in the heart by way of action. The more you love Christ in the bosom, the more you will walk in holiness. The more you have love for Christ, the more you'll express it in worship and devotion and adoration. The more you have love for Christ, the more you will express it in Christian service. Many Christians are asked, and maybe you've been asked this too in a church like this, why are you so fanatical and so serious about your faith? Your answer on some level, friend, must be something as simple as this, because I love him so much. He has done great things for my soul. Jesus, precious Jesus, has done great things for me, and I want to follow him in every possible way in my life. That's why I am fanatical so-called. Apathy, lukewarmness, how could I ever live with that, knowing what great things the Lord has done for me? And so while your sin debt is paid in full believer, you do have a debt you can never repay. A debt of thankfulness to the Lord for his mercy. And the believer takes the zeal that they once had, right? This is the chastisement on so many of us. We once pursued our idols and our sin with so much zeal, and we won't forget, follow the Lord with that kind of zeal. But the believer takes the zeal they once had for their sin and idols and transfers that zeal to the service of the Lord out of a thankful heart. This woman once served her lovers, but now she serves her precious Lord. Romans 6.18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Paul once persecuted the church with great zeal, but with love for Christ, he serves Christ and the church with that zeal, doesn't he? That is the turn of heart for great sinners who are saved. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Psalm 116.12, and we sing this often, provokes us to ask, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? What is its answer? It's to give the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Romans 12.1, the apostle, after teaching on the grace of God and the, the forgiveness, free forgiveness of sins, what does he say in Romans 12.1? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Our service to the Lord then, it must be seen as a response to the love that the Lord has given us. That is what the woman's service is in the text, isn't it? Her being a living sacrifice unto Christ. She was not saved by her love for Christ. You can read the text backwards that way. Because the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. It's not her love for Jesus that saves her. It is his love for her that saves her. 1 John 4.19 His love comes first. Our service in love is a spirit-filled response to his free love. That is why she ministered to Jesus. She loved much, as the parable said. But you say, I don't have access to Jesus Christ physically today. And yet, while that is true, you can still minister to his body still. He says, what you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do to him. Matthew twenty-five forty. So as you consider this woman surveying the condition of her Lord, can you survey the body of Christ? Survey the church and find places that are lacking where there is neglect. Find ways where brethren may be neglected and serve your brethren as well. 
If your heart is yearning to show love to Jesus as this woman did, go and love your brethren. Just, you know, you think of this. He counts whatever you do to your brethren as service to him. This is often why we are not hot for service, if I may use that expression. It's because we don't understand the service is first and properly to Jesus. And if we would look at it that way, we would serve those that we might feel are are difficult to serve, or we would actually keep our eyes open to ways to serve rather than thinking of ourselves all the time, because we would look at it as a way to minister to Jesus Christ. This woman saw something was not taken care of in terms of Jesus. And just like that, if it is in your power, go and find those areas. And out of love for Jesus, even the little things, right? Go and care for them. This woman, you think of this, right? She is one of the greatest, and I believe that wholeheartedly, one of the greatest characters in the Bible. She did not preach. She did not minister in some great and powerful way, the way that the world and even sometimes the church would see service. What did she do? She wept and washed Christ's feet. And she is remembered by the church now more than all the powerful sermons of Apollos. And that is the glory of how the Lord, we'll, we'll see this in Hebrews 6 this night, tonight, but the Lord is not unjust, unrighteous to forgive or forget your works of, that are, of love that were done to him. And he remembers even the little things. So even things that you count as small, even things like the meal that we're about to have on the Lord's Day, if it is done out of love for Jesus, he counts it as though you are feeding him when he is hungry. Isn't that an astonishing thing? And so, if you have a hard time loving your brethren and serving them, remember how much you're forgiven and go love much. Romans 13.8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. But also, also love unbelievers too, that they might know, not, not to associate with them in their sin and to join in with them and their company and associate that way, but love unbelievers that they might know the love of Jesus Christ. Do not be standoffish and self-righteous towards notorious sinners like the Pharisees were. Do not be standoffish. In our day, this is our temptation, right? To be standoffish towards the homosexual, the transvestite, the drug abuser, men and women like that. They need the gospel. And they need to show that, they need to know that there is a way to God through Christ. Share the gospel with them too. Because of our standoffishness, very few of them hear Jesus call out to them, I will give you rest. It's one awful thing it is to live in those sins. Awful, terrible thing. So, believer, as we close, return to this text often, my fellow sinners. Keep it close to your heart. And when you wonder, how can a sinner like me approach a holy God? You look at this text and say, oh, my soul, in Jesus, I can touch God. When you wonder, how can I, after sin, repent towards God because I am so unclean? You look at this text and you say, oh, my soul, the greatest sinner In Jesus Christ, the greatest sinner can be cleansed. And when you wonder why am I so cold and unmoved towards my Savior, you look at this text and you say, Oh my soul, how can it be that I am so cold towards Jesus Christ when He has forgiven me so much? And you'll find love burn with more heat 
for Jesus in your breast. And you will find that hatred for your sin and your former ways will grow as well. As you look on this text, you must say with the bride in the song of songs who adored her bridegroom as this woman did, I am black but comely. My sins as the heat of the sun have made me dark in God's eyes, but my Savior, he has made me comely as he has washed away my sins in his blood. I am black but comely, and that is the lesson you find here. So go and love Jesus much, sinners who are redeemed in him. Amen. Please rise for prayer if able. O Lord, our God, we've already heard in the reading of the unsearchable riches of Christ and the grace of the Lord. Truly, how great are the riches that are found in Christ. Oh, help us, Father, to always recognize and know how much the Lord has forgiven us. That each and every day, Father, our love for Jesus would grow as we see with greater clarity how much sin he has forgiven us. Father, you know that on the day we first believed, we didn't see the greatness and depth of our sin, especially as it is found deep in the recesses of our heart. But as we grow, oh God, you show us more and more our sinfulness, that truly we are wretched men and women outside of Christ. And so, Father, help us to grow in love. And if any here do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and have never heard of the free mercies, the free cancellation of the debt we owe to God, no matter the sin, we pray that today would be the day of salvation for them and that they would take Christ and receive him, and that they would then have a new heart of flesh and love the Savior. Help all of your people here, Father, love you all the more for all the love you have bestowed upon us, your people, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And help us to know, Father, the love of God through Christ more keenly this day than the day before. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let us respond to the Lord with praise. We'll do so by...